Okay, welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I am Wes McAdams. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I am incredibly thankful and excited uh, to have this conversation with two of my friends, uh, Dr. Jared Saltz. Jared, how are you, brother? Doing great. Doing great. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, it's good to have you, brother. Thanks so much for doing this. And then also Stephen Cuffel. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here again. It's a blessing. Well, thank you, brother. I'm I'm excited to have both of y'all. And uh, before we hit record, we were we were just saying that that this conversation about the inspiration of Scripture is something that that I've only really had this conversation as a preacher. That that this is a conversation that that sometimes we'll have as as preachers. But I don't know that it's a conversation that the average member, the average Christian, is having um, with them, you know, amongst themselves. And so it, it may be something that that is a new idea for some people. Uh, we often say the Bible is inspired; Scripture is inspired. But what does that what does that mean? And and why can't we just just leave it at that? It just it just is what it is. And so, Stephen, well, let's kind of start with you and and just kind of before we even get into the different ideas about inspiration, why even have this conversation? What's the value in it? It's important because, uh, first of all, to make sure we're talking about the same things. When you and I talk about inspiration, you could have a, a radically different idea, a completely different idea than I do of what that means. And if we don't agree on, you know, at least get in the same ballpark with what we mean when we say things like inspiration, we really can't have a, a coherent conversation concerning the scriptures because we, we might think totally different things about the Bible. It's sort of like saying, well, why can't we just agree that baptism is baptism? Well, because there are all different ways that people are baptized. There's all different reasons why people are baptized. And so the same thing is true when you start talking about inspiration. What do you mean when you say that? Because you might mean you might mean that, that the Bible is just inspired the same way that poetry is. Well, I think that it contains a message from God. And if, if we have those different views, we're going to come to very different conclusions on, on how to use the Bible uh, to get authority for what we do or, and how to come to God. And so it's, it's important in that fundamental way. Yeah, absolutely. Jared, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, like Stephen said, questions of inspiration tend to end up being a catch-all term for other related issues, primarily authority, but also questions of inerrancy. And it becomes then this battleground area for people who are either trying to get others to convert or trying to get others to deconvert. And because of those in, um, those concepts, it becomes this battleground. And if those lines aren't clearly drawn, if we're not able to say, well, this is what actually the Bible says about this, and this is what um, the history of Christianity has taught about this. And instead it becomes, well, here's what I think about this. Well, then I can make a situation and I can be like, hey, well, you know, um, uh, Stephen or Wes doesn't believe in inspiration if I define it this way. But that may not be how you define it. And what I might be trying to do one way or another is load in that term of inspiration with really more questions of authority or inerrancy or something else. And so we kind of have to detangle that a little bit or we can get ourselves into some sticky situations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and let's kind of walk through, maybe even first, even before we get to what some might call theories about inspiration or different ideas around what what is inspiration or how does that work or how did it work when these inspired writers uh, wrote these things down, even before we sort of enumerate those how would we define, like, what might be a good working definition of, of inspiration itself? Like, what does that word even mean? Stephen, you brought up that, that we could say that a poem is inspired. We could say, or, or somebody might say, I'm feeling, I'm feeling rather inspired today. Like, what would be a good definition of, of uh, inspiration or inspired? Jared, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that to you and, and we'll kind of walk through, you know, maybe just give us sort of a, a broad a broad definition, or, or what do you mean when you say that? And, and then we'll, we'll kind of get into the different theories about that. Yeah, it's a great question. So in 
you know, starting with the Bible itself, we have very few really kind of descriptions of what inspiration has. And of course, the, the main one that everybody thinks about is correctly uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when it talks about all scriptures are inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching and for rebuking and for you know, correcting and training in righteousness and teaching um, you know, salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we tend to focus on is this question of inspiration. And we think of inspiration, you know, breathing in, but it's really kind of God breathing out. That's the term that we kind of have is this divine breath that um, gives the spirit to humans and allows them to access divine knowledge and divine wisdom and foresight and everything else of that nature. But what does it really mean to be God breathed? Well, clearly the, the, the best kind of connection that we can bring into that is God giving life to humans in the very beginning, that God breathed in his spirit to people and it made them alive and it made them in his image. And so I think that if we want to start with a biblical foundation, then what we'd say is that inspiration is the image of God in text or um, however we want to define text, right? And that it does that through humans because that's the way God has breathed life into this world is, is his spirit through us and through the word. And also, if we want to kind of take that one step forward, then we know that the perfect example of God placing his spirit in a person is seen in the person Jesus Christ. And when Jesus, who is not just the word, you know, if we think about, you know, the word of God, the Bible, but the word of God, then we see something really incredible. And that is he is both fully God and fully man, not 50-50. You know, we're not going to get into all sorts of, you know, uh, controversies, you know, from early church history. But one of the reasons these are complicated is because they have impact for then how we consider the Bible and how we consider inspiration. So I think that we need to see the Bible and inspiration through Jesus, through God's creative act, and through then this image of God placed into something um, that makes it alive. And that's really, I think, where we need to start our conversations about what inspiration is. That's really good. Stephen, anything you'd add to that as far as the definition of inspiration? Uh, I think all that's spot on. The The other verse that I think of is Second uh, Peter chapter 1, where Peter talks about people being carried by the Holy Spirit. And I, that, that fits right in with what Jared was saying, this idea of God breathing life into the man, creating his own image. The, the, the picture that I sort of see there in Peter is that he's, he's basically explaining that the things that the prophets have put forward, they didn't look at the world around them and get inspired like Greek philosophers or Greek poets, but God was giving them the meaning of things and he brought them to that meaning. And so you can think of that the, the way that uh, God makes his image known is by bringing us to it. And that is sort of what the scripture does. It, it brings us to God. And in that way, it's inspired. And Peter seems to be arguing that it's very different from the Greeks who thought their way to a pro to to a conclusion, or who looked at the world around them and reasoned to something, uh, he seems to be very pointedly saying that God is the one who has made Himself known to you through these things. But yeah, I, I think Jared did maybe the best job I've ever heard explaining it. Yeah, well, and I love what both of you have pulled out of both what Paul wrote and what what Peter wrote that that this, whatever we mean by inspiration, is about how God is working in the the people who wrote this text. That it's not it's not that we believe that the the paper and the ink are somehow inspired or that God is is in this this physical book, but that God was somehow working within the people, within the authors of these these texts that we are reading. And, and that's really what we want to get down to and, and sort of look at different definitions or different theories about what do we mean when we say, or when Peter says that God carried these men along or that the Spirit carried these men along, or as, as Jared was putting it, that God breathed his Spirit into them and his Spirit worked in them to to write and create these texts. So so let's let's walk through that. Jared, what are what are some different theories that that people, scholars and theologians have have sort of pinned down or or tried to articulate what we're talking about? 
Now, this is a dangerous question to ask me. And I thought about this immediately when I saw your outline, because on the one hand, I, I knew I was like, uh, Wes is going to think about, you know, what are we talking about for modern scholars and modern theologians? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, we'll talk about partial inspiration or dynamic inspiration or verbal plenary inspiration or dictation inspiration theory. But I got to say, this is a conversation that has been going on for a very, very, very long time. And this is a conversation that the early Christians are having and the Jews of the Second Temple period are having, and even the pagans are having when they're questioning what does inspiration mean? And, and so while I want to talk about all this a little bit, I want us to kind of think in terms of when Jesus, and particularly when Paul is speaking, he uses that term and we focus on inspiration, but the term that everybody around when he's talking and, and when they're reading Second Timothy is going to focus on is not actually the, the God-breathed part. It's the beneficial part because there's this huge controversy of what is literature for? Is it for benefit or is it for entertainment? And this is conversations all the philosophers are having about Homer. And Paul says, he kind of puts his finger on the scale. He's like, we're not like that. Well, this isn't for just pure entertainment. It's not just for fun. This is to benefit the whole man. And that is where the church fathers are going to buy in fully. That it's not just about what it is, it's about what it does. In the same way that if God just breathed out air and it didn't do anything, nobody would care. But the fact that it brings life and it transforms us, that's what's going to be really crucial. And I think that is really important for us to keep in mind as we get into these kind of modern um, um, discussions, because our focus is a little bit different. Um, so some people are going to say, they're going to look at that pe um, Peter passage and say, oh, they're like ships blown about by the wind. And they're going to say the people then had nothing to do with it. It is only God. This is what some people call dictation theory. Um, some of us might be most familiar with it in popular conception of like Mormonism, where God inspires Joseph Smith word by word, um, piece by piece. And really, Joseph Smith has nothing to do with it. He's just a conduit. And Yet, that doesn't seem to address any of the breadth and beauty and variation that we have in Scripture. And instead, what I would say is probably more popular for, I think, good reason, at least among um, kind of the more conservative branches of, of certainly our movement, but even kind of Christendom as a whole, is this thing called verbal plenary inspiration. And that may be a term y'all, you know, I'm certain y'all have heard, but, you know, those listening have heard kind of tossed around. And that means that every word is inspired by God, but it still allows for the human element to kind of have its effect in it as well. B.B. Warfield, who's kind of a, at this point, relatively old, although still modern theologian, I, I love his image that he has of this when he talks about inspiration. He, he says it's kind of like light coming through a stained glass window. And the light is God, right? That's God's word. And yet, as it filters through the different authors of those different colors of the painted glass, it creates an image. But God is still the one who put each of those panes in its place to create exactly what he wanted. And I think that's a pretty beautiful image to consider, is that we have to consider it holy God and holy man. But some would say, okay, well, let's emphasize the human a little bit more. And they would say, well, it's dynamic inspiration and in that not everything is inspired. You know, God just kind of like picks the people and kind of lets them run a little bit. And I think there's some truth to that. But I think that we need to emphasize more on the, the, the divine aspect. And lastly, there's this thing called partial inspiration, which has kind of become more popular um, in the past, oh, I don't know, 150 years or so. And that is that the Bible is infallible. Notice when I use the word infallible, we're getting into those inerrancy questions again. Um, infallible about matters of faith, but not about matters of history or science. In other words, the facts can be wrong, but they would suggest that the doctrine is still correct. And so all of these kind of questions are going on, but and I know I'm running long winded, so let me just conclude with one last thing, because I think we still need to consider the question of that ancient debate. Because most people, not everybody, but most people even today would say, what about these inspiration theories? What, you know, you know, Stephen, you know, to kind of our Wes answer, most of the time we have an extra tag that they're inspired in the what? The originals or the manuscripts, the original handwritten. But 
I don't think that goes far enough because we don't have the originals. And if inspiration is beneficial, and if Paul's saying, hey, the scriptures at this point have been translated into a different language and in some ways are not exactly the same as, as what they're dealing with with the, the Hebrew, if he's still saying they're beneficial for teaching, that means that inspiration has to be more than just what the original author wrote down. It also has to be what we have. And that means that God's inspiration goes beyond just that. It goes into what we have, and it is still beneficial for teaching and for proof and for teaching salvation in Jesus Christ. So that was a little long-winded, um, but I did think it's kind of to, to consider kind of the, the, the boundaries of some of these conversations. No, I actually think that was really concise. That was that was amazing how much information you packed into that that short period of time. I think that's fantastic. Stephen, anything that you would add as far as uh, theories or even before we kind of talk about the the pros and cons of, of of those theories that have been sort of laid out anything you would add to to that conversation just about defining what the theories are um there are a couple that uh i may have missed if jared mentioned them one one would be i i think people call it natural inspiration which there's nothing divine about the bible at all it's just hebrew scholars got together and wise men throughout time you know put things together um Definitely not a conservative view of the Bible, but that that is one that's out there. Another one might be like conceptual, where the concepts are there, the, the big thoughts. And so when Paul is writing about, you know, human interaction with the government, it's the thought of submission to government that's inspired, but not really Romans 13 uh, per se. And then maybe like the, well, we alluded to it earlier, like people will say, well, Plato is an inspired writer. Some people view the Bible like that, where there were people who maybe were caught up in a moment of ecstasy or, you know, spiritual enlightenment, and they just, you know, achieved higher than normal. And uh, so it's, that might be closer to the dynamic view that Jared mentioned, but those are some nuances that I've heard. Uh, the biggest issue with those is there, it's almost like there, there are attempts to remove God's hand from what is being done to make it more human and less divine if that makes sense. Yeah. So to sort of sum all of that up, and you guys tell me if this analogy or this metaphor way of, or way of picturing, I guess, picturing it, would it be fair to sort of put, put these theories on a spectrum? Like on one end, it is, it is all God and it is dictation and that God told them specifically which words to choose and, and how every sentence would be formed. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it's just, it's just a work of people, uh, whether some people might say very smart people, very well, you know, inspired in the sense of, of their, their creative and they're brilliant and they, they made a masterpiece, but they're just human beings and God wasn't a part of it at all. So if it's, if, if we sort of put those theories on a spectrum, um, what are sort of the, the pros and cons, and you guys have kind of touched on that already, but, but what would you see as some of the pros and cons of, of the different ends of the spectrum and even some of the places in the middle, how would you, how would you help people to work through that on how, how should we think of, of that spectrum and, and where do you guys find yourself on that spectrum for that matter? So Stephen, let's start with you and, and what would you, how would you describe some of the pros and cons of the different ways of thinking about inspiration? Uh, one of the pros actually of the, the more humanistic views is that it sort of takes a high view of humanity. You know, if, if humans are able to put together this book that we call the Bible with all the poetry and the history and all of these great thoughts and ideas, it really sees humans producing something that's quite extraordinary, uh, which is, I mean, that's a pro. It has a high view of what we are. The negative of that is that it almost, some of them do completely remove God from the picture, at which point Christianity and Judaism are, are nothing more than fanciful ideas, uh, and they're no better or worse necessarily than any of the Greek religions or any of the other ancient religions or modern humanism. You know, it, it's no better or worse, uh, you know, from an objective standpoint. And the more conservative ones, like the dictation theory, uh, the, the problem with that is that it removes the human element. And there is there is no working of God through his creation. Like one of the one of the beautiful things in my mind in scripture is how God is always able to use every single situation to bring about exactly what he wants, which is why he's God. Uh, he's able to use the hatred and the just the vitriol, the raw 
hatred, uh, or to borrow from Milton, you know, uh, obdurate pride and steadfast, yeah, obdurate pride and steadfast hate uh, of Satan. He's able to use that to bring about salvation <laughs> because he's God. And so God uses the creation to produce what he wants. And the dictation theory removes that beauty of God interacting with humanity and it becomes just God and humans become mere robots or automatons and uh, you miss out on something that's beautiful. And so I would tend more, I would be on the conservative side, but more towards the middle, perhaps, where you see God working with humanity rather than God dictating. Um, and even though I like the high view of humanity from the other side of the spectrum, you can't take God out uh, or, or the Bible really it's no longer a communication from God. Yeah, yeah, very well said, Jared. What would you What would you add to that as far as the pros and cons of the the spectrum of ideas? You know, like Stephen said, there's some there's some pros and cons on either side. Um, if we think about let's think about the cons first on the edges of the spectrum and work our way in. One of the cons that I've kind of consistently seen with this kind of dictation view is that they're very very good about saying, "Look, this is all God," and I think that's correct, but because they've removed the human element, it we don't look at it as literature. And what we have to recognize is the Bible's not just truth. It is also inspired literature in that kind of broader worldly sense that we think of. You know, the, you know, God doesn't, you know, one person I was time one time I was in church and I was teaching the gospel of John and we're going through John 2 and we're 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 looking at the the kind of the creation that Jesus does of turning water to wine. I said, look, this is a fulfillment of all of these promises that God has given about the coming of the messianic era, and it's tapping into all these things the prophets are doing, and he's doing this, John is including this. For a reason, because he says he is later on, you know, at the end of the gospel, everything I've given you is for a reason. I said, and this is what he's teaching. He's teaching about himself. And a person, a well-meaning brother, you know, raised his hand and said, no, 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 it just happened. It doesn't mean anything. And he didn't like the fact that I was reading it as, as, as an inspired literature, that I was using kind of theories of, you know, we need to connect this to these other things. Because it just happened. It just is what God said. There was nothing about John's kind of like desire to do these things in it. And it really flattened the text. You know, these sorts of views, when you read the four Gospels, you treat them as one. Maybe you teach them even as a life of Christ thing. And you remove any of the differences and you squish them all together. And, you know, to use that kind of stained glass image uh, view, if you take all the colors and you stick them all together, you know what you get? You get brown. And that is nobody's favorite color, right? And so that's a real weakness that that view can have. Not, not, not that it must have that, but it tends to have that. Now, a weakness on the far side is that you just kind of, even if you accept this as kind of inspired literature, like I might think of, I don't know, um, Lin-Manuel's Hamilton album or Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. It's like, wow, this guy was brilliant. Look how inspired he's put all these things together with, is that we just assume almost by necessity, well, this is different from that. It just must be different authors meaning totally different things. They didn't agree. And you just write it off and you don't consider it any closer. And Yet both of those is removing some of the beauty from this image that is the Bible. That, you know, we like the edges of this polarity for the same reason the Christological controversies of the third and fourth century were like Jesus was only God or he was only man because it, it, it fixes so many things. But the problem is that doesn't fix anything that's not true. And so I think as we move closer towards something in the middle here, that we believe that it is seen through the image of God, fully man, fully divine. Not it, it is inerrant, but we don't get to choose what counts as error or not. And this, this is something we have to be really careful of um, when we think about verbal plenary inspiration, because we say, well, it's perfect in all of its details. And, and I agree. I 100, and if there were more, if it was possibly more than 100% certain, I would, but it's not. Um, the, the Bible is inerrant. But... You think about Jesus, how many times do people look at Jesus and they think that he's wrong about something? Well, why? Is it because Jesus is sinful? No, it's because they haven't understood what he's doing. They don't understand what he's saying. And they're forcing him up. Look, he healed on the Sabbath again. Look at how you know, sinful he is. And we have to be careful we don't do the same thing with the word of God. Sometimes um, we can try to fit it in boxes that we've created that is not what it's trying to do. And when we do that, we make it look and appear errant and contradictory and sinful, even when it isn't. And so we have to be really careful that in our 
understandable and, and good zeal to defend its um, divine nature that we don't confuse the wisdom of humans, including ourselves, with the wisdom of God. And that we don't tell Jesus or his Bible, oh, this is wrong, this is contradictory, or it must be the same even if it's not. The biblical authors might be doing different things and might be doing things according to a different genre or different understandings or expectations. And we have to be rec um, cognizant that it's the authority and not us. And so we have to fit ourselves to it as opposed to fitting the Bible to make it fit us. Inspiration is what we have. The Bible never says, well, well, this is exactly what it means. We have to figure that out. And that means we have to let it be the guide. And, and maybe uh, my humble suggestion would be stop trying to put it in boxes that we've created just because it makes it easier to, to grapple with. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Yeah. Oh, that's so well said. There's so many things that you brought up that I want to I want to come back to. I I want to I want to segue eventually to that idea of being really dogmatic about what inspiration has to be. But even before we get there, I I love the point that you made, Jared, about about accusing the Bible of being inaccurate because we're 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 forcing it to be accurate on our own terms. And what I always use with people is if you watch any weather report, or I guess pull it up on your phone nowadays, but if you pull up the weather, it's going to tell you what time sunrise is or sunset is going to be. But I mean, if you forced it to, even that, that's sort of in a scientific type of a, a communication, it it's technically inaccurate. I mean, the sun doesn't rise and the sun doesn't set, but we still use that type of language because we're trying to communicate something to people and we all understand it's not trying it's not trying to give you an accurate picture of how astronomy works. It's trying to communicate to you what time it's going to get light outside. And and I think that sometimes we do that with the Bible because as you said, we flatten it all out and we I I I tell people all the time Whatever their, you know, whatever our take is on on Genesis one and two, for instance, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble with Genesis one and two for or, or or myself for that matter, but whatever our view of Genesis one and two is, we can't read it as if this is a modern science textbook. We have to read it for what it is, and I think that, as you said, Jared, appreciating genre and appreciating that that these were ancient Hebrew people that wrote this book for a certain purpose. And it still continues, even as it's been translated into English for our modern benefit, it's still beneficial. And it is it is the book, the story that that shapes us the way Jesus would have us to go. So any thoughts? I mean, we could just sort of talk about that for just a second, about the way that we sort of force the Bible to be something that it isn't. And by forcing it to be something that it isn't, we make accusations against it when really we ought to be appreciating uh, the beauty of it. Stephen, any, any thoughts on, on any of that or anything that Jared brought up? Yeah. Um, to your point, uh, like with Genesis one and two, you'll hear people say like, if, if two people disagree on that, one of them will accuse the other of not believing the Bible. And that that's one of the things that sort of enters into this question of inspiration is when you're talking about, about inspiration, it is possible for you and me to both agree that Genesis 1 and 2 are inspired, they're fully from God, I mean, to be in complete agreement about that, yet still disagree on how to use it. And so we have to separate those two things. If you and I disagree about a biblical passage, it doesn't mean that you hate the Bible and I love it or vice versa. It means we both love scripture. We just don't see eye to eye right now on how this passage applies to us or what specifically it means. And that's different than the question of inspiration. And then I really like what Jared said about forcing the Bible to fit into things and, and accusing it of making mistakes. Like one of the things that I've, I've been talking about recently where I am is in Hebrews 9, where the writer talks about the altar of incense. Well, is it in the most holy place or is it not? And if, if he's put it in the wrong place, 
you have to ask the question, why did he do it? Did he make a mistake? Is the Bible, is there a mistake here in the Bible? Or is there some other thing that he's doing? We have to allow the biblical writers to actually write, right? That comes back, I think, to the, the idea of genre that was mentioned. We have to allow the poets to be poets. We have to allow people to, to pull from different passages and blend images and do all the things that humans do when they write, because the Bible is a blending uh, of, the, of human and divine. Like we've got that stained glass picture. I love that, that image. And so many times in my experience, we accuse the Bible of being wrong when we don't like something that one of the authors has done, or we don't understand what one of the authors has done. And so it's not a problem with the Bible. It's, it's a problem with me. Yeah. Jared, I, I love that you brought up about the the gospel accounts, and, and that has been, in recent years, my biggest frustration about the way we, we harmonize the gospels. And, and there's value, and I don't want to act like there's not value in harmonizing these accounts. But growing up, my only interest was in, well, what exactly happened? Like, what exactly happened? Like, if I had been there, what would I have seen happen? But I think that we're not appreciating what the the gospel writers are doing if that's our only question and our only concern i'm preaching right now through some of the birth narratives and when you compare matthew and luke if we just conflate the two we miss so much because there's so much information that they uniquely give us and we have to ask why for instance matthew focuses on joseph and Luke focuses on Mary and on Elizabeth and listening to their words and their praise. Well, Luke, I think, is setting us up for this entire narrative about Jesus' concern for women, Jesus' concern for the outcast, Jesus' concern for the poor, and and elevating them. And, and as Mary says in the Magnificat, you know, it's turning things upside down. And And if we just conflate all of that, then we miss what Luke is doing. But we're not acting like Luke did it by himself. Like this was all just Luke's brilliant idea. We are saying God played a part in it, but I, I love this discussion about the human and the divine. Anything else, Jared, that you'd add to, to all of that? Yeah, this is the difficulty because, you know, talking about that benefit, we all recognize that the Bible's written for us, but we also have to recognize that it's not written to us. If that distinction makes sense. And so we have to recognize that there's some difficulties that comes with that. Um, you know, I, if I was, you know, telling Steve and, you know, I live in, in Tampa, Florida, and it rains all the time in, in a certain few months. And if I was trying to tell him and you're like, how long, how much does it rain? And, you know, and I was like, uh, 13 and a half centimeters per hour over, like, no one knows what that means. Okay. First of all, we don't use centigrade anymore. But if I said, listen, Steve, and it was raining cats and dogs. Okay. He knows exactly what I mean. Now, is that a scientific accurate you know, measure? No. But is it a more faithful, more helpful, more beneficial, more accurate um, portrayal in a lot of situations? Yes. And so that's part of this for. Or the other part is we living today are, are actually pretty good readers of genre when it comes to our modern genre conventions. You know, if we're watching a movie and it's, you know, black, you know, screen and you big yellow text starts scrolling up. We know we're watching a Star Wars movie and we know what we're getting ourselves into. But if you didn't and you said, oh, this happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, this is history. You're going to have lots of problems with what you're about to watch. You're not going to appreciate it. You're going to find all sorts of things that are wrong with it, right? Now, let me, in case it's not clear, I'm not saying the Bible is mythic or anything like that. But what I am saying is that we are really good at picking those things up for ourselves, but it's a little harder when we're having to translate that through a few thousand years. And, and some grace and some, some care and some just awareness that the Bible's written for us, but it's not written to us, can help resolve some of that. And it can also help us then to recognize, well, if, it's, if that's not written to us, who is it written to? And like you said, Luke is doing something different than Matthew or Mark does. Well, who's he written to and why is he emphasizing these things? You know, why does Luke have um, women at every significant aspect of Jesus's ministry from the birth to the death, to the burial, to the resurrection, right? Like at every element. Well, that seems a consistent thing that Luke in particular does. Or, or what about the fact that Luke is the one who's kind of emphasizes this rebellion and this taxation and the census and people get all been out of shape over, well, is he right or is Josephus right? Well, he's doing something different. And we have to appreciate that human element 
that, that God did for a reason. But if we just flatten it out and just, as you said, just try to figure out what really happened, then we miss the power of this story. You know, God gave us four gospels for a reason. He gave us two accounts of the kingdom for a reason. He gave us two, all these different things for a reason. And our purpose then is not to just squish it all together and make brown, but to figure out why. And since God has done this, he didn't make a mistake. And that means we need to figure out what these things are doing and dedicate ourselves to those purposes. And that is going to give us a much better view of inspiration, a much better appreciation for God, for his majesty. And I would suggest for it benefiting us and transforming us than if it just becomes a fact-finding mission where we fill in blanks and leave it off from anything like that. Yeah. Can I add and, one and thing for the record? Quick? Yeah, but let me say this real fast. Yeah. Brown is my favorite color, Jared. Just just so that you can't say that anymore. You know, I appreciate all the other colors. And I, 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 for a while, I was embarrassed that brown was my favorite color because I was the only kid with brown as my favorite color. But but I'm just going to own it now because you brought it up. So yes, Stephen. Well, good for you. Good for you. It's not like mahogany or some like cherry. We're trying to save you here. No, I, I just from childhood, brown is my favorite color. So there you go. I've always been kind of a bland guy, I guess, but uh, that's, that's the way it is. There, there was something Jared said that I thought was that is really important, where, where he mentioned that what we have today is still inspired because it's beneficial, it's profitable. Um, not to get too far off into the weeds, I just wanted to mention it very briefly. When we talk about this idea of inspiration, often people are, they either don't know or they gloss over the fact that there are lots of different textual families. Like when you go back and you talk about how did we get the Bible we have today, uh, there are different Hebrew textual families. There, there's even a Greek copy of the Old Testament. And, and so, I mean, all of this stuff moving forward is what gives us scripture that we have now. So yes, God, God was there when, the, when they were first written. But God is also there as those things are being transmitted and moved forward. And so he, God is the reason that we have the Bible we've got today. And so that, that is inspired too, even though it's not the autograph, because it comes back to what he mentioned. It's profitable. And so God has preserved that for us. That's a really important part of the, of the discussion. Yeah. And, and that actually brings up a really interesting point that, that it wasn't until I started preaching and and just even just thinking through things like the life of Paul and and then preaching through the life of Paul and then looking at his his books, his epistles, and thinking through what was going on in his life and, and what do they really say and reading them in one sitting. Everybody knows that's one of my big uh, soapboxes is, is reading through, especially the epistles in one sitting. And it wasn't until then that I realized, wait, he didn't write these by himself. You know, it, Paul sat down a lot of times. He gives credit to the other people who are writing it with him. And even just that small tweak to the picture that we have in our head, that this wasn't, and I've seen pictures, I've seen like Renaissance paintings of, of Paul sitting there by himself, pinning these things alone. And if that's the mental image that we have, that this this Bible that we have in our hand was sort of a one-to-one-to-one transmission. God transmitted it to one guy, and then he basically gave it to me. And it's all this very individualistic way of thinking about it, as opposed to understanding that God has been involved in the entire process and that God has always been working through a people. Sometimes it's through the nation of Israel. Sometimes it's through Paul and his traveling companions, but he's He's working through all of that. And, and I think that that just that that mental image of what was that like when when Paul and Timothy and uh, they they sat down and they were they were working out how are we going to say this did they have rough drafts did they have did they make more than one draft did they did they question is that the right word is this the right way to phrase these kinds of things uh, any thoughts on on just that the way we visualize the writing and the development of scripture Jared any thoughts on that yeah my favorite you know one of the very few examples we get in the Bible kind of giving us kind of a behind the scenes look of this comes from the book of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah writes out this prophecy and, and by writing it out, what I mean is he dictates it and Baruch kind of writes it down and Baruch runs it to the king and the king just like rips it up and throws it in the fire and he comes back and Jeremiah's like, okay, we can do it again. 
And he, he's like, we're not worrying about the exact same words. We're doing something a little bit different. Well, Baruch, we realize very quickly, is the one who's writing down, you know, Jeremiah's, the book of Jeremiah is the book of Jeremiah's words, but it's Baruch who's doing it, right? You know, Mark is writing down probably, at least if we accept, and I think there's good reason to believe, you know, Peter's words and Peter's sermons. And when we read the books of Kings or Chronicles or anything else, we realize, wait a second, there's not just an author, there's an author, and there's editors, and there's later authors, and there's a compiler, and there's this whole community that God has inspired every single part of this. And, you know, what books are in the Bible? That is part of inspiration. And that is part also of a community that God is guiding the church to choose the books that it does. You know, it's not to say, well, as the, you know, the people who are the pure humanists would say, well, the church, church just picked the books of the Bible. No, but it's also false to say, well, the church had nothing to do with the, the books of the Bible get picked. That all this is part of the inspiration. You know, we think that the fact that you know, we rediscover Koine Greek after, you know, so long it's been lasted, which allows us to translate better. We find the Dead Sea Scrolls, which allows us to have a better text, that that's God's not in that as well. Again, I think too often our view and our discussion and our description and our arguments on inspiration are too small. We need to have a bigger view of inspiration because the Bible is not just the autograph. It's the whole thing. And that is part of a community effort. You know, it's not just, you know, to go to your specific point, a lot of people get really hung up on, hey, did Paul write this or did Paul not write that? They don't look exactly the same. And I said, why should we expect they're looking the same? He's got different co-writers in each of these cases, different amanuensis. You know, Paul even credits the person who's carrying the letter for him. Paul sees these as communal efforts. And I think that that view of, you know, Paul writing alone, there's always a skull, right, in those, these, these, these images alone. <laughs> Um, when he's writing the letters, that's that's not the picture the Bible gives us. Um, there's much, much, much more involved in that. And inspiration is much, much, much more than, like you said, that one-to-one-to-one correspondence. Yeah. yeah. So kind of ending where we started, we, we talked about in the very beginning about the challenge of of being family, of using the Bible together as a church community, as a, as a family to know what should we make of this and how do we apply this to our life and and who's my brother and who's my sister and and sort of working out all of those things and and obviously within the restoration movement our our entire plea has been on the things that that scripture is explicit we need to be explicit we need to speak about those things we need to we need to make those things tests of fellowship but on the things that the bible is not explicit on things that are merely our own opinions uh, because we've thought through some of these things and we have differences of opinion let's let's leave those things that the bible doesn't speak to specifically let's leave those aside and we can have differences of opinion on those things but let's love each other and let's be unified on on what's what's doctrine what's what's explicitly taught and so we could say as we began the conversation that scripture teaches that scripture is inspired so that's that's a matter of explicit doctrine that we find in scripture but what that means obviously we have a lot of different opinions and there can be within a within a certain range on the spectrum there can be a range of different views on well no i i think humanity had a little bit more to play and this person says no no i think i think it was more god than it was human and so there can be these differences of opinion but how can we have fellowship or can we have fellowship when we have different perspectives and views and opinions and inferences as it comes to what what does inspiration mean? What does that look like? Stephen, we'll, we'll kind of start with you there and and let's kind of talk about, I think you and I have even talked on the podcast before about fellowship and and about the challenge of being one family when we have different views on things. So so how can we have fellowship when when we have slightly different views on what inspiration means? I tend to hold sort of as the boundaries of fellowship, uh, what the Bible explicitly teaches on that. So like when you get to Ephesians four and you have those seven ones, um, you know, John two, where you have like the teaching about Jesus. And so I think it is possible for you and I, or whoever to have varying understandings of scripture while still coming to, to within the bounds of fellowship concerning those other things the, the point at which this particular thing would become uh, a problem is when it leads you out of those 
out of those boundaries of fellowship. Like I, I have never met somebody who denies God's role in the Bible at all and, and still comes to correct understandings about who Jesus is or, or who the spirit is, the father. And, and so that, that to me is really the found, the problem is that misunderstanding what inspiration is when it comes to how, how God is communicating in, in, in scripture, that misunderstanding leads you to things that will take you out of fellowship. It's not necessarily that you and I disagree with the Bible, so we're not brothers, but our, our disagreement or our different understandings take us to very different places as regards our relationship to one another and to God. And that causes the issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. It kind of gets to what uh, Jared said in the very beginning about how Scripture is beneficial, how it's useful for this instruction. So, Jared, what else would you add to that about fellowship and inspiration? That I think that we can kind of look at it in two different ways. And the first is philosophical. And that is that as long as we agree in inspiration and you're doing what God says, then we should be able to have fellowship. But there's also the kind of the practical, the pragmatic element. That is the farther away we are on these views, the more difficult it's going to be. Because if I believe, hey, I, every single word is, is only God and there's no man and therefore there's no interpretation that, that takes place. There's no level for nuance and this is just it is what it says what it says and it means what it means and that's the end of all. And that's one view. Well, then I'm going to have a very different view of authority than one person says, I think it's kind of nice literature, but I don't think it really means anything and I'll have to do it. Well, great. Practically, those are going to cause real issues. Now, they're going to cause issues not over this, but over like what Stephen said in other areas. Um, so the closer we are to this is important because we're going to have similar or more similar rules of authority and of how we read text. This becomes, in some ways, our view of inspiration is very much our hermeneutic. And that kind of dictates all sorts of things. And it shouldn't be surprising that even if we haven't thought about it that much, it's that important. Because this is the word of God, and, and this is the thing that's supposed to shape us. And if we have a wrong view of Jesus, right, and again, seeing the word through the word, then everything else is going to be wrong too. I mean, Jesus is running around with the disciples and the apostles for, you know, three to five years, and they still don't get him, right, until the resurrection. And even then there's problems. And so how long have I been carrying around the world, the word, but I might have issues with that and does that cause problems if we don't agree on who jesus is and what his mission is and how we're supposed to understand him and how we do all these other things and so i think it's important in the same way that i think understanding and recognizing you know the truth of what is taught about the person of jesus you know that he's fully god and fully man you know the, the idea of the godhead of god in three persons but one being that that's important because all these foundational truths of christianity the death burial and resurrection they kind of push everything else that's downstream of them. And so at the end of the day, I might come to, you know, to, to pick on Cuffle for a minute and be like, oh, we have very different views of this. And that's not really the problem. It's actually far more upstream. And that's because we disagree on inspiration. We disagree on authority. We disagree on something else. So that may not come to light right away, but that's probably one of these things driving those distinctions. And so ultimately, I think that the closer we can be, the more biblical we can be to the extent of, as you said, that what the Bible teaches we require and what it doesn't, we allow some grace. I think it's pretty important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you both brought up um, Jesus and and our love for one another and how we treat one another because really that's what it all comes down to and it is it is our love of Jesus and our belief I I often say and I'm sure I'm not the first one to say that you know my primary apologetic is that the tomb is empty I don't I cannot wrap my mind around any other explanation for the 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 spread of the gospel, the spread of this message about Jesus other than the empty tomb. And if that's true, then Jesus really is the Son of God. And if Jesus really is the Son of God, then this is the book. This is the the collection of books that not only shaped the people around Jesus, it, it's the, the book that he points to and that points to him. And so if we want to know Jesus and we want to live out this life of, of following him, then, then we have to have this high-level appreciation for this collection of scriptures. I think for me, in my journey in my life, um, where I've seen the most fracturing 
maybe at both ends of that spectrum we've talked about where there is a rigidity to to what people think the bible is and if you if you do not allow for god's work for the spirit's work within scripture and you just think that this is a, a human work then you're really not going to know what to do with it and it'll shatter you if you spend enough time in it um in a good way i think but but i think that on the other end of the spectrum i think that when when people do not allow for the creativity, the artistry, uh, the 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 collective work of the community of faith that that put these these texts together. When they don't allow for that, and then they they begin to read anything about higher criticism, lower criticism, whatever, and they they start to talk about textual criticism. It, I know for me as a young college student, it that rocked my world. And in fact, it it's very difficult for me to have these kinds of conversations with people because if they're very rigid in their view of what the Bible is, then any discussion about, as we said before, what's Luke doing in his account or what's John doing in his account, it it, it can be kind of earth shattering. It can kind of shake up their, their views. And so I hope that what people can walk away from this conversation with is an appreciation for the way God worked within very real humans to tell a very real story that not only shaped history, but can shape, can shape us. So any encouragement, just as we close, Stephen, any encouragement that you'd give people about sort of how they think through these things that can help draw them closer to the Lord and closer to each other? Yeah, your faith, uh, your faith is a historic faith. It's grounded in historic facts with historic, about a historic person with an historic people. And it is God working through his people. That is the narrative in scripture, getting us to Jesus. And then you see God working through his people again, all through the New Testament. And so when you come to scripture with that understanding that God works through his people, you know, you're one of his people today. You're part of that story. You are doing the same thing that those people in the New Testament were. And so you are connected intimately with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, because they are working with you and through you and for you in the same way that you see in scripture. And it's just a really beautiful picture. Yeah, that's a beautiful thought. Jared, we'll, we'll kind of give you the final word. Any any thoughts that you'd, you'd share as we close on this? Yeah, I think that the more robust our view and appreciation for inspiration is, the more it can alter our own faith. Because we realize that God didn't have to do it the way he did it. He didn't have to send his son as a man, right? And this is Paul's big thing in Philippians 2, my favorite passage in the New Testament, you know, takes on the form of a slave who who is maltreated and obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how God decided to do it, because that would be what would work for us. And if God can give his perfect son in human form, and that's also how he decided to give us the Bible, then that means that's also how he can work with us. Because we know we're flawed. We know we've got problems. We know there's all sorts of weaknesses that we have. And yet God, when we are baptized, gives us his spirit. And that can transform us and make us perfect um, it can make us complete in the same way that his spirit completed his son and completed the Bible. It can complete us as well. And that we shouldn't then have a faith that is fearful or shrinks back, but rather that we can embrace the beauty of the resurrection and of that empty tomb and look forward to empty tombs for ourselves. Amen. 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 No better way to end that. Jared, Stephen, thank you both so much for being part of this conversation. Thank you so much, Wes. It was great to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.